Are you ready to strap yourself in for one hell of a ride? Welcome back to the podcast where I, Nadia Wildermoth, discuss my blonde tendencies, give advice while helping you get through life and discuss my interests with you and amazing guests. So sit back and relax and grab yourself some snacks because you deserve it. Stay calm and listen to this episode of Don't Worry, I'm Here. Hi everyone, on this episode of Don't Worry, I'm Here, I am joined with ex-SWAT team hostage negotiator and teacher to those who want to start leading an extraordinary life, Terry Tucker. How are you today, Terry? I am great, Nadia. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Um, can you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, I was born on the south side of Chicago, the third largest city in the United States. You can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I actually played college basketball here in the United States on a scholarship. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I'm, I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to help people find employment. Fortunately, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the, the hamburger chain in their marketing department. Unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, as I said, started out in marketing with Wendy's, then I moved to hospital administration, and then I made that pivot in my life and became a police officer, and part of what I did was be a, a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After my law enforcement career, I started my own school security consulting business. I coached girls high school basketball, became an author in 2020, but for the last almost 11 years now, I've uh, been battling a rare form of cancer. And then I guess finally, my wife and I have been married for almost 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military that we have here in the U.S., the Space Force. Yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> um, what are your hobbies? That's something I like to ask all my guests. What do you like doing in your spare time? Uh, I like to read. I, I unfortunately, with my cancer, I, I have had my leg amputated. I, I'm in a wheelchair, so I don't get out very much, but I enjoy reading. I, I am a big biography or autobiography kind of guy. I, I like to know what makes people tick and why they do what they do and things like that. So I would say reading is something I, I enjoy doing. There's a there's a program called Masterclass where uh, you know, famous or influential people uh, put on classes about all kinds of things, leadership and arts and science and things like that. And I, I really enjoy doing that too. So I guess maybe learning would probably be a better, uh, better moniker than maybe reading. So I, I enjoy yeah. learning. Yeah, I like reading too, because I feel like you can, um, it's better for your imagination. Like you can imagine what the characters look like and what's going on, like what it looks like and all that kind of stuff. What type yeah. of books do you enjoy? Um, I've been reading like fantasy kind of books because I feel like your imagination can just get lost and like escape reality. Yeah. Sure. Good yeah. for you. So, um, 
you have had such an eventful life. One part is how you were a SWAT team hostage negotiator. What was this like for you? Um, so I guess for, for a little background, the, uh, a SWAT team, at least here in the United States, that's the only thing I can really speak for, is usually divided into two groups of people. One are the, the tactical teams, and those are the officers that have all the, the guns and, and the, the neat little toys and, and the, what we call a, a bear, which is a, an armored vehicle. And then there's the negotiators. And if the negotiators do their job, then the tactical team doesn't have to use all their toys and things like that. So when there was an opening and I was a police officer in Cincinnati, Ohio, a, a fairly good sized city, uh, when there was an opening for a negotiator, I put in for it. And it was, I had to do a physical fitness test. I had to run so far. I had to do so many push-ups and sit-ups. I had to meet with a psychologist and be grilled in that regard. I had to take tests, kind of psychological exams. Uh, I had to meet with the, the team and their bosses. And it was kind of an all or nothing thing. If one member on the team said, we don't want you, then you didn't get on the team. So everybody had to be unanimous in their decision. and. I was fortunate. I was able to get on the team. And then a lot of our training, and we trained every month, we did scenario training. We worked with a psychologist and, you know, we would do a scenario, then we would debrief. And, you know, did you think about this? Maybe this person was schizophrenic and they were off their medication or, you know, whatever it is. So there was a lot of learning that went on with it. Because if you think about a police officer, 99% of what we do is face-to-face -face with another individual, whether we're stopping you to give you a citation for speeding or whether we're answering a radio run for a fight. That's all face-to-face. -face. And we can see things based on our interaction with you. So if you're sitting there and I'm talking to you and you're kind of you know looking around, maybe you're going to run. Maybe you're trying to get away. Or maybe you're balling up your fists like you want to fight. And I can see that and I can react to that. I can sit you down, I can handcuff you, I can put you in my car based on what I see. But as negotiators, I couldn't see the person I was talking with. So we had to figure things out based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying and how they were saying it. And if you, you think about how we communicate with each other, 7% of it is the words that we use. 38% uh, of it is our tone of voice, and 55% of it is our body language and our facial expressions. So if you think about what we did as negotiators, we didn't have that 55%. We didn't have the majority of how people communicated. So like I said, we had to figure things out based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying, and how they were saying it. Yeah. Um, so... How did this impact your life, this job? Yeah, I mean, it, it was certainly stressful. I, I mean, these were life and death situations. A, a lot of times there were weapons involved, uh, knives or guns or something like that. Uh, a lot of times we were going after homicide or murder suspects that we we had an we had information on that was you know they were they were holed up in their girlfriend's apartment or in their parents house or something like that and and they knew that if when they got caught they were they were more than likely going to prison for the rest of our life so about 90% of the time we were successful in getting the person out safely 
But about 10% of the time, and you and I were talking before we started to record, about 10% of the time, the person made the decision that they were going to end their life, that they, they didn't want to go to prison for the rest of their life, or they didn't, didn't want to go to jail or whatever it was. So they, they chose to end their life. And while that was always tragic, and it certainly is when somebody dies, I don't mean to sound callous about this, but I never lost any sleep over it because I knew I worked with great people, I had great training, and I did the very best I could to get that person out safely. But in, at the end of the day, it was their choice whether to come out or whether to end their life. Yeah. Um, so how would you um, unwind like after a stressful slash traumatizing day of work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, there's a, there's a much higher incidence in law enforcement of divorce, of alcoholism and drug abuse yeah. and of suicide. And I never, uh, my sanctuary, my, the way I kind of re, re, regrouped or, you know, recharged my battery, so to speak, was to spend time with my family. So there were many times after, you know, after a shift or after we would we'd get a call up that be like, come on, we're all going out to the bar for a drink. And, and I never did that. I, I yeah. never went out, you know, for a drink. I never wanted to get into that habit. So for me, it was being with my wife and my daughter, being you know together as a family. And, and I would tell my wife some of the things that, that I would see or some of the things that I would experience. Our daughter was, was young at the time, so I didn't really tell her anything. But you know, it was it was being with the people that I love, being with the people that I cared about and that cared about me that really kind of got me over that hump and be like, okay, today was a tough day, but you know what? Yeah. I'm with the people I care about. So you know what, I'm going to get better and then I'll be able to do it again tomorrow. Yeah, that was like me with uni. Like it's kind of not the same thing, but like I would be stressing out about an assignment and then um, I'll think, oh no, I'm going to be having dinner with my family like tonight. So that would just make me like have something to look forward to and not stress out so much about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, so... Can you please explain your four truths to help others lead an extraordinary life? Sure. The, the four truths are something that I've come up with during my, as I mentioned, 11-year battle now with, with cancer, with a rare form of melanoma. I, I have these truths here on a post-it note on my office, so I see yeah. them multiple times during the day, and they're constantly reinforced in my mind. They're just one sentence each. So the first one is control your mind or your mind is going to control you. Yeah. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. The third one I look at more as a, a legacy type of truth, and it's this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one, I think, is, is fairly self-explanatory. It's as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I call those yeah. four truths kind of like the, the bedrock of my soul. They're just a good place to start to build a quality life from. Yeah. Uh, could you, like, give an example of where you, you, you have used each in your life? Sure. So control your mind or it will control you. Um, 
When I was younger, when I was probably 15 years old, I had my first knee surgery and I had three knee surgeries when I was in high school. And I remember when I went back playing basketball, my brain was putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my mind. You know, things like, hey, you're probably a step slower because of your surgeries and college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you to play for their schools. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still interested in having me possibly play for their college or university. So I learned early on that I needed to change that, that narrative. I needed to put something positive into our, into my mind. We all talk to ourselves, whether we like to admit it or not, but you need to be careful what you say to yourself because we all become what we think. I'll give you just a quick example, and I'll use a basketball example. If you took a basketball and you went out onto a free throw line and you practiced shooting free throws, there would be a certain part of your brain that would light up. You're making connections by doing that. If you decided to sit down and think about taking that basketball and going to that free throw line and shooting those free throws, that exact same part of your brain lights up. So whether you think about it or whether you physically do it, the same part of your brain lights up. So for example, if you're taking an algebra class and you're like, you know what? I'm really bad at algebra. I'm terrible at algebra. I'm not going to do any good at algebra. All you're doing is hardwiring your brain so that you're right. You won't be able to be good at algebra. You won't be able to be successful. So be very careful how you talk to yourself. Talk to yourself in positive ways. Don't get me wrong. We're all going to have negative thoughts that come in. We're all going to have those days when, you know, uh, you know, I'm not very good at this, right? Yes, I understand that. We're human beings. We're not, we're not robots. But understand that you need to have more positive days and put good stuff into your brain. Just like you put good food into your body to make it yeah. run successfully, you need to put good thoughts into your brain to do that. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one, embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life. Our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. To the brain, the, the status quo, the way things are right now, it's comfortable, it's familiar, and it should just be left alone. Yeah. The problem with that is the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to improve, the only way we're going to get better is if we step outside those comfort zones and do things that make us uncomfortable. I always tell, especially young people, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not gonna be the things you did. They're gonna be the things you didn't do. And by then it's gonna be too late yeah. to go back and do them. So I try to do this every day. I'll recommend this to you and to your audience. Do one thing every day that makes you nervous, that scares you, that's uncomfortable, that might be potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but if you do those little things every day, when the big disasters in life hit us, and they hit all of us, we yeah. lose somebody who's close to us, you know, we, we, we get fired from our job, we find out we have a chronic or a terminal illness, you'll be so much more resilient to handle that than the people who never do anything with their lives. So instead of running away from pain, do just the opposite. Take that yeah. pain, flip it inside you, 
burn it as fuel, use it as energy to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. And now I'll stop there for a minute and ask you if you have any questions on those two and, and then I can finish the other two if you'd like. So basically you um, have to step out of your comfort zone and like do something you wouldn't usually do. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'll give you an example. For me, I, I hate going to the dentist. The other day yeah. I, I picked up the phone and I, and I called and I made my appointment, you know, to go for a cleaning. Now you might say, oh, that's no big deal. But when you don't like the dentist, when it's uncomfortable for you, yeah. And that's what I mean by doing yeah. those small things every day. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Just yeah. do something that's uncomfortable to you. I'm going to get up an hour earlier or, yeah. you know what, I'm going to, I really don't want to go to the gym today, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or, you know what, I really want to eat that pizza, but I haven't had any vegetables all week. I'm going to eat broccoli today. Whatever it is, just something that's uncomfortable that gets your body out of that comfort zone so that you can grow and develop. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Want me to finish the last two, number three and four? Yes, please. Okay. So number three, I look at more of as a legacy type of truth. And it's what you uh, leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. I actually have friends that your friends probably don't do this, but my friends certainly do, who read the obituary page in the newspaper or online for two reasons. One, to keep themselves humble. And two, to make them realize that someday somebody's going to be reading their obituary. When I had my leg amputated in 2020, after that surgery, I went with my wife to the, to the mortuary, to the cemetery, and to the church, and I planned my funeral. And because I go on podcasts and I've written a book and I speak in person about motivation and the need to keep moving forward, I actually got some brushback from people who said that somehow planning my funeral was in some way defeatist. And I kind of laughed and had to say to them, it's like, well, the last time I checked, I think we're all going to die. Don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. Every one of us is going to die, but not every one of us is really going to live. And I heard a Native American Blackfoot proverb, uh, some indigenous people here in the United States that went like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking to hasten my death in any way, but death is not nearly as scary for me because I believed I lived the purposes for which I was put on this earth to do. I made a difference in the people whose lives I touched. And so when death comes, it's not nearly as scary for me. Yeah. So that's the third one. And then finally, the last one, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And the way this works for me is pretty simple. Someday my cancer journey, my pain is going to end. It may end through surgery. It may yeah. end through some type of new medication. Quite frankly, it may end when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to pain, then yeah. pain will always be a part of my life. Mm. Yeah, I feel like if you give up, then the universe has won. But like if you keep um, trying to succeed after you fail, then yeah, you can't really lose. Does that make sense? 
It makes total sense. And I, I think you're yeah. absolutely right. I, I mean, it's, we all fail in life, but it, yeah. you're not a loser unless you look at that failure and say, well, that's the end of it. You know, yeah. Nelson Mandela, the former president of South Africa, used to have a great quote. He said, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And yeah. there are so many people who think that people who are successful have never failed. And that's absolutely not the case. The road to success is paved with failure, totally paved with failure. I mean, if you ask anybody who's real successful, they'll tell you, yeah, I, I did this wrong. Or, you know what? I, I wasn't the person I am today. I, I needed to work on myself. There's all kinds of things that people need to do to get to be successful. And that involves failure. And that involves realizing that when you fail, you're not a loser unless you don't learn from it. What did you learn from that failure and how can you apply that to making your life better? If you can do that, you can fail all the time. When I wrote my book, I, de I dedicated an entire chapter to the importance of failure and failing often, especially when you're young. Yeah, because if you don't fail, then you don't know that you need to improve. Like if you fail, it gives you a chance for improvement. And like to build, like, like you can become even more successful. Like with um J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, yeah, she like um wasn't getting ex accepted by publishers, and then she finally got accepted because she kept working hard and didn't give up. She saw the failure to like as an imp for her as a chance for her to improve on her writing. And yeah, she's like a billionaire now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't know if, are, are you familiar with Dr. Seuss? Any of the Dr. Yeah. Seuss books and all that? Same thing with, with the man who, who created Dr. Seuss. He had, yeah. he had uh, presented that 27 times and he'd been rejected every single time. He was just coming from another rejection when he ran into a friend of his who had just gotten a job as a publisher and that started the Dr. Seuss series. So, you know, if he would have walked on the other side of the street instead of the street side that he did, he'd probably be the most successful dry cleaner, you know, in, in England at this point. In time. Yeah. <laughs> it's also the same with um, Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah. He was about to, um, I think he ripped up something or scrunched it up. And then his wife said, no, um, keep working on it. Yeah. And you're going to, be a success and yeah he's like one of the best horror writers in the world so exactly <laughs> yeah right. it just um it's so like interesting to see that people who thought they weren't going to succeed are now some of the most successful people in the world because they didn't see, see failure as a sign for them giving up they thought this is a chance for me to actually make like um, an impact on people's lives like yeah it, it absolutely is and, and and the other part of that is that you know a lot of times we want our success we you know we're okay with failure but I want to be successful now and a lot yeah. of times success doesn't come until much later in life and and yeah. so many people quit along that road you know somebody people get in their 30s and out oh, of heck with it I'll just do what I'm doing but they're not happy they're not fulfilled they're they're not living their purpose but sometimes that doesn't your purpose doesn't come around until 
you're 50 or you're 60 yeah. or even you're 70 years old. And so many people can't keep that grind going. You know, they yeah. can't keep saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to, I'm going to keep working. Too many people give up. Too many people quit long before they need to. Yeah. Do you know um, Judge Judy? Yeah. Yeah. She said, if you don't make it in your 20s, you can make it in your 30s. If you don't make it in your 30s, you can make it in your 40s and so on. And she um, said at the end of it, I think there was an 80-year-old painter and that started painting when she was 80. And yeah, she was very successful. So yeah, you don't have to be a success when you're young. You can be successful when you're much older. Yeah. You can and, and the other thing about that is, you know, a lot of times we think that our purpose or our passion or our why has to be our job or what we do for a living. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, I mean, your job could be something over here that you do to pay the bills, but your passion or your purpose is to, you know, be a podcaster like you or to write or to paint or to be an activist or whatever it is that you believe that you're, you were put on this earth to do. So don't, don't get, don't get excited if you're, you know, oh, I'm a failure because my job is not my purpose. It's okay. F yeah. Keep looking for your purpose because it may not be your job. Yeah. Um, is there any tips that you can give um, to like build self-confidence? I, I think a lot of, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a story. I had a nurse recently that asked me, I had my leg or my foot amputated in 2018 and my leg amputated in 2020. And she asked me what I thought, you know, how, how was that? What was it like? Of course, it, it was terrible. You know, I mean, I, I'm still learning how to walk again with a prosthetic leg. But what I told her was, you know, cancer can take all my physical faculties, but yeah. cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are, Nadia. That's who your family is. That's who the audience who's listening to it is. Yeah. And we spend a lot of time on our physical bodies. And I'm not telling you not to go to the gym. I'm not telling you not to eat right. I'm not telling you not to take care of yourself. You absolutely should do that. Yeah. But I want you to think about who you really are. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when we die, this body goes away. You know, it, yeah. it, it goes away. But what lives is our heart, our mind, and our soul. So I would encourage the people listening to us to spend some time developing your heart, you know, develop empathy, yeah. you know, your mind. You know, you and I were talking about enjoying reading and things like that, yeah. you know, develop your mind and develop your soul. Get in touch with, you know, if you believe in God, get in touch with that. If you, whatever you believe in terms of, you know, why you're here and things like that, get in touch with those things. If you do that, you will have the confidence that you need to be successful in your life. Yeah. Like I'm trying to, like the last couple of years, I've been focusing on me physically, like me, you know, getting like more muscle or like getting rid of my acne or whatever. But now like, because I've, I think I've gotten more mature. I'm like, screw that. I'm going to focus on who I am as a person, focus on my mental health, stuff like that. Yeah. Not so much my physical appearance. Yeah. I, I mean, we all want to look good. And, and yeah. when we look good, we feel good. And when we feel good, it's easier for us to, to do things that are difficult. But like I said, you know, if, if you saw my lower body, if you saw the scars that I have, 
you would you would probably say you know but that's that's pretty ugly and it is pretty ugly but i've earned those scars you know i'm proud of what i've been through to, to get to this point where I'm still alive after 11 years of cancer, where I've had my foot and my leg amputated, where I've been on drugs, where I had to inject myself in my abdomen and that, you know, that my abdomen is totally scar tissue now from all those injections. So I've earned the scars. I've earned those things that most people would say ugly. I would look at them and say, well, I think they're pretty beautiful because I've earned them. Yeah. Um. Is there anything else you would like to say before the end of the interview? Let, let me let me just throw this out at you. Um, you know, we spend our lives, and I know I'm guilty of this in a lot of ways. We spend our lives, you know, we graduate from from high school or college or you know whatever we end up doing with our lives, and we and we go out into the world, yeah. and we think we need to consume. You know, I've got to, I got to make a lot of money. I've got to drive a nice car. I've got to live in a nice neighborhood. I've got, you know, we've got to, we've got to get stuff. We want stuff. We want the latest iPhone or iPad or whatever, you know, the latest uh, games and all that kind of stuff we consume. What I would like to suggest is maybe we look at it differently instead of being born empty and we need to spend our lives consuming to fill ourselves up maybe we look at ourselves as we were born full and our job or our purpose is to empty ourselves out for the betterment betterment of ourselves our family our friends the people we come in, in contact with it's kind of different than what we're you know i mean there's all kinds of ads on social media and television and all that so you you need this you got to have this you know all these things that we need and if you have them then you're then you're fulfilled. I, I found, and I'm much, much older than you. I found that that's not the case. Having stuff doesn't make you fulfilled. What yeah. does is using your gifts and talents and making those gifts and talents available to the people you come in contact with, which hopefully will make their, their lives a little bit better. Yeah. Um, would you like to promote anything? Uh, I have a book. Uh, it's called Sustainable Excellence, the, the 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. It's available anywhere you can get a, a book online, you know, Amazon. I don't know if you have Barnes and Noble over there, but Apple iBooks, things like that. You can, you can get the book there. Uh, I, I'm very proud of it. It came out in late 2020. I, I believe it has some good things in it. It's it's gotten nothing but great reviews on Amazon and that. So I will I will steer your audience toward sustainable excellence, 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been such well, thanks a Thanks for having me, Natty. I, I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun talking with you. <laughs> I hope you can come on again, like in later episodes. I would love that. It would be fun to talk with you again. Yeah. Thank you. You're Bye. welcome. Bye-bye.